Welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Kristen Smolik and Will Portello will discuss social inflation, emerging tactics, and best practices for public agency liability. Kristen is the Vice President of Pooling at Sedgwick, and Will is the Director of Litigation Claims at Sedgwick. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Kristen, Will, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Hi, Taekwon. Hi, Taekwon. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having Will Portello and myself here to speak with you today regarding social inflation perspectives across the country, emerging tactics and best practices for public agency liability for the Prima membership. Just to give you a little bit of background about ourselves and how we formed these perspectives we will discuss with you today. Will Portello and I, with our other approximately 180 pooling colleagues, work and manage the Sedgwick pooling business throughout the United States. We handle 24 pools across the United States, guiding approximately 4,000 public entities through their liability, property, and sometimes work comp claims. Of these 24 pools we handle, we also manage all aspects of their business needs, their underwriting, reinsurance, coverage document creation needs, their risk control, accounting, finance, as well as handling their claims and litigation management needs if those are necessary for those high-end litigation claims. We're proud to work along with many other talented Sedgwick pooling subject matter experts in the field. And at Sedgwick, we have varying career experiences that add different perspectives as we serve our roles and share ideas with the team. Specifically, Will and I are both licensed attorneys and have a unique perspective of being in the courtroom early on in our careers. We now bring that trial experience to the Sedgwick litigation team. Will manages our California litigation team. And after working in our Michigan Midwest litigation team office for 15 years, I help manage the litigation, risk control, underwriting, and marketing groups for our Midwest business in Michigan. So that's a little bit of background about ourselves. Thanks, Tuquan, if you want to kick off our questions here. No problem. Thank you. To start, do you think social inflation is contributing to the increase in jury verdicts and claim settlements? And if so, what factors do you think have led to the rise in social inflation? I do. I think there are six major factors that are driving social inflation in the United States today. First is third-party litigation funding. Second, the increase of attorney advertising that we're seeing across the United States. Third, erosion of tort reform. Fourth, legislative action expanding liability. Fifth, negative public sentiment. And lastly, the desensitization to large jury awards. So in the interest of time, I'm not going to go through all of these in detail, but I do want to highlight a couple of these. And one of the most prevalent factors of the six that have led to a rise of jury awards and settlement causing the social inflation, especially in the media of late, has really been fueling the fire of social inflation is this public distrust and negative public sentiment, especially towards our police officers. There's a real sense of danger towards our officers, and we've seen this in the media almost on a daily basis. And we have all heard the list of police shooting cases, the George Floyds, the Freddie Grays, 
the Rodney Kings. Settlements are really rising within each incident. The Tamar Rice claim that settled for $6 million just four years ago. In September this year, the Breonna Taylor's family settled with the Kentucky Police Department for twice that amount, $12 million, the largest payout linked to a Black woman for a police shooting. And we're really struggling as a country to heal this divide among the public and the police officers. And the gap keeps growing wider with social media attention and the alleged news coverage to these shootings as the payouts increase. The second factor of the six we've been seeing of late is this desensitization of the large jury awards. Again, stoking the fire for social inflation. We're seeing a millennial impact on the jury awards being handed out as these younger jurors are looking for someone to blame for the injury or the damage that occurred. And in a recent jury research study conducted regarding millennials, 79% of the millennial jurors favored plaintiffs from the onset before the trial even began. 45% reported that they would decide in the case based upon fairness. And we're finding in general that these feelings cannot be changed with jury instructions and the law. Generally, this generation is disregarding both of these. And in general, this generation wants to really reward the underdogs and punish the deep pockets. So think about it. We have more than 85 million millennials that make up our juries. And this is a real challenge for those cases that are going into litigation again, leading to the increase of social inflation. So these are just two of the six factors, Taquan, that are outside legislative and the, in the legal arena that we are seeing within our society today that are really impacting social inflation and increasing the amount of the jury wards. And we'll touch base on a number of those other factors during our discussion. What areas of public entity practice do you think pose the greatest risk of nuclear verdict? I think it really depends on whether you're in a joint and several jurisdiction. And when we say a joint and several jurisdiction, it means that you're responsible for the entire judgment or a large portion of it for some aspect of the damages, regardless of how large or small your percentage of fault is. So if you're in a joint and several jurisdiction, it's, it's really the dangerous condition of public property claims that keep me up at night. It's trees, it's intersections, and it's crosswalks. Because even your, your best risk control plans can't control all those risks due to the involvement of third parties. Being in California, we've got climate change, drought, and heat-stressing trees. And so even a, a robust inspection problem isn't going to catch everything. On intersection and crosswalk claims, where a motorist is involved, any conduct by that motorist, even if it they're 99% responsible and 1% of the liability falls on the entity, means that the entity has to pay 100% of the economic damages that are here. And given the costs of medical care, a life care plan for a, a catastrophic injury can easily be in excess of $25 million. So those are the where I see potential risk in joint several. On direct liability where we're responsible, it's still transit claims and it's, it's police claims. Transit claims are pretty straightforward. Simply a bus can do a lot of harm if it hits someone and you can have a large number of claimants uh, riding on a bus. Police claims are very difficult and they're dependent on the demographics of the venue. 
In several of the districts we have, when you take the preemptory challenges that are available to the defense and you look at the fact that approximately 67% of the individuals in those jurisdictions are not supportive of the police, it's, it's actually statistically impossible to get people on the jury that have a favorable view of the police. So at best, we get a few jurors who are neutral. Juries award millions of dollars on an excessive force case, plus punitive damages and attorney's fees. So those cases there create significant exposure. What is lean-based medical treatment? Is it having an effect on case values? Lean-based treatment is when the claimant receives medical treatment from a medical provider who's going to, and that medical provider will be paid from the proceeds of the case. We've really seen an explosion in the last few years where individuals who actually have medical insurance already or who are on Medicare or on Medi-Cal, which is California's version of Medicaid, instead of using those resources, receive lean-based treatment through a provider, typically one they referred to by an attorney. Because of the uncertainty of payment and the private arrangement for those liens, the providers charge significantly higher rates for a procedure. We also see a, a fair amount of unnecessary treatment and re- recommendations for future treatment from lien-based providers. And that has a pretty substantial impact on case values. For example, we've had bill review consultants work through lien-based treatment records and find the reasonable value of services as being only $24,000, where the, the billed amount under the lien was over $200,000. We just resolved a case two weeks ago where there was $99,000 in base treatment for a procedure that the insurance carrier would have, a typical medical insurance carrier would have paid about 30000 Even though those amounts, amounts for lean-based treatment are excessive, we have to factor that into the, the case because it is potentially recoverable. And even if we're contesting it, it still forms the underlying value. It also drives up the cost of the defense, because if you are going to attack lean-based treatment, you need to have the appropriate bill review consultants and experts to do it, which naturally adds to your defense costs. So lean-based treatment is a significant factor, particularly in the direct liability cases, as well as we're seeing it in cases that ordinarily would be smaller, such as sidewalk cases, that elevate those cases substantially. What can defense attorneys do to try and mitigate the effects that plaintiff's attorneys have when they inflame the jury or incite the jury to punish the defendants? Saquon, a really savvy defense counsel is trying cases not just on liability and causation, but they're now turning to different approaches, not just during their opening closing statements, but they're using new tactics during their questions and when they're calling their witnesses. So defense counsel really has to diffuse the anger that that I previously spoke about earlier with the jurors and make that defendant humane and more personal during the trial. Nip that anger in the bud, but not allowing the jury to send the message to the defendant. And it's defense counsel's job to recognize the potential of the damages up front and to address it or talking about damages really head on early in the trial. It's not just a no cause or the jury awards plaintiff everything they're asking for. There could be other alternatives, and defense counsel really should suggest these during their presentation and while they're putting on their defense. So defense counsel should challenge plaintiff's figures that are blackboarded 
they should argue different numbers. Don't just have the jury consider uh, no damages at all. And this is a really important tactic that I think that defense counsel can use. And as you are reviewing your claims operations, your litigation management operations to make sure that uh, defense counsel is doing this as they are handling the defense of your cases. What types of proactive risk control measures should public entities be utilizing to decrease the chance of a nuclear verdict in liability claims? One of the best ways that public entities can protect themselves from risks that are really associated with social inflation is to create and continually reinforce this, this culture of safety. It reduces the likelihood of accidents in the first place. There's less lawsuits if you have a safe atmosphere and a culture. So recognizing areas of exposure, finding that root cause of the accident, sharing data from your claims or your litigation department to identify those exposures, and pulling out relevant risk control resources is key here to assess those situations. Also, educating public entities, not only with policies, but also with education and with hands-on training for the membership so they can really have an impact on public entities' exposure. It's really essential to curb the social inflation impact. Lastly, I'd suggest that if there is a potential claim, early intervention really can be a key tool in limiting the exposure. Early fact development, liability analysis, early on is really critical in handling these claims. And this is where the working relationship between the member, the claims team, the risk control team, and defense counsel can really stop a problem from becoming very um, large. So before Will and I sign off, we really want to thank you to Quan and the Prima organization for having us as guest speakers today. These mini podcast series are just a really great way to share ideas from varying subject matter experts' perspectives. And we're all in this business together and collaborating and sharing these ideas is really especially important during this pandemic time when our clients need us the most. And it's really important that we continue to do this. So on behalf of Sedgwick Pooling, thank you for you and your time that we spent with us today and have a wonderful day. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.